Shop Talk is back. With the support of LSETF, we're sat down with some young, brilliant entrepreneurs to learn the secret behind their success so that just maybe we can do the same thing. How are you? I'm fine. Great. You know, struggling and, um, you know, the world that we're in. <laughs> yeah, trying to make the best out of it, but fine generally. When you say struggling in the world that we're in, like, yeah. It's Nigeria now. Everybody's struggling. Like, seriously. Everyone's surviving. <laughs> Everyone's surviving. Like, doing business in Nigeria. Yeah. Right? With all of these kind of things. Because, I mean, yeah. I've had people talk about, you know, especially when you're thinking globally, the volatility of the market and things like that, and people's willingness to do business in Nigeria. What kind of things do you have to consider and think about when you're trying to venture into new spaces when you're doing work here? For me as an entrepreneur, right, it's um, the biggest risk is the government. Um, I mean, we've seen spaces, especially in tech, where, um, you know, something big, big happens in a particular tech space. And then you find that regulation just pops up. <laughs> you know, the regulators, all of a sudden, the regulators who are sleeping for the past, you know, all their existence, they just pop up and start giving, you know, very funny um, licensing fees because they've had X raised $50 million. And, yeah. You know, it's it's so funny because every other place you find the government, you know, giving tax incentives, yeah. giving grants, giving funding, you know, making sure that you're providing jobs. But here it's almost as if, Oh, so you can raise $25 million. Okay, let's look at it. And let's see how we can take part of that money yeah. you have raised. You know, it's, it's sickening, yeah. actually. Um, I don't think we talk about it a lot. And and um, I think it's, it's, um, it's one of the things, you know, slowing down. I mean, you meet investors and the first thing is... Um, what happens if the government changes? So, for instance, you you into uh, for the kind of business I do, I also have partnerships with government mm. from state to federal level. And so, what if the administration changes? What happens? You know how it is usually in Nigeria. There's a new administration, you know, and that person might just want to bring his own guy, so yeah. to say. You know, those are the kind of risks we we tend to face. Uh, with Naira Books, I, I know about two or three years ago. We had this big concert that we sold tickets for. And um, and the next thing, the FRS came and said, we're owing some huge amount of money in tax. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. We, we showed them our tax receipt, our tax certificate. They said, no, look at your bank account. You're seeing billions in there. I said, this is how our company works. We're <laughs> collectors for promoters. So if a dividend did 500 million, for instance, in his concert, mm. right, and Burner Boy did about 300 or 400, right, and we are also exclusive. So we're collecting this money from them. This is, we take a percentage of it. After the concert or mm. the season, we remit the funds back to the promoters. You can't tax us on other people's money. Yeah. It makes no sense. And they explained we sent tax auditors, uh, our auditors to Abuja. They said, no, it had to be Abuja to trip to date. We had to. So, by the way, they had already frozen our accounts. They mm. put a lien on our accounts um, with the stupid banks. And, um, and we had to send these guys, you know, repeatedly to Abuja. And now we couldn't remit money to it. 
promoters because yeah. they be like, ah, dude, our policy states that you pay at this point, at this point. And, um, you know, that's what we're going through. We eventually, after like a month, where promoters were tr already threatening, you know, hell, court, litigation, all that. At the summer, we found somebody who, um, who, uh, who knew the chairman at the time. And we just we just asked for an audience. This is after a month, after a month going there and begging and mm. saying, you know, this is the true nature of our business. And they said they don't care. They have a target to meet. So you know. sitting in that kind of space and yeah. in the tech space specifically, right? What if you were to be able to have a, a sit down, I guess, with government in terms of what kind of implications or what kind of things need to be put in place. One that could generally help the country grow by helping um, yeah. your business and helping the tech space generally in terms of regulations. What kind of things do you think the government need to start considering um, that would help one, um, the government and the country as a whole, but also help people in the tech space um, be able to take full advantage of what, of what is offered and what they can offer? So the thing is, one of the biggest challenges in tech space, apart from regulation, and you know, I'm not against regulation. I had I had a meeting uh, with some people in the government, the um, um, the Ministry of Health, um, early this year, and they mentioned that okay, for telemedicine, they are about regulating, and that they have committees set up, you know, to regulate. And I said, I think. It only makes sense I should be part of that committee because if I own the market leader in telemedicine space, why am I not in that committee? It makes no sense because mm. that means that every other person that is in there really doesn't know what, what is happening. Yeah. You being a part of the Ministry of Health doesn't make you understand the telemedicine space. Yeah. We are the ones actually making those parts. So you have to involve people who um, you're trying to put regulation um, in place, you have to put the players as part of the people yeah. to come up with, to work with you to come up with that regulation and ask questions to, okay, what are the issues that you're facing? Yeah. How do we make it better? How do we allow more people join into that space? Because I keep saying it to them, telemedicine is the only quick fix in our healthcare system today. It's yeah. the quick fix that we have. And if you take your eyes away from that, then you're, we don't have the money to yeah. build more hospitals, right? We, we need to get to a point where we build a lot of hospitals and kind of make it free. But we are not there. We have yeah. 200 million people. There are some people who haven't even seen a hospital before in their lives. Yeah. Do you understand? So um, if I had an opportunity and let's say what I have to say will be taken into consideration because there's one thing sitting down with these people it's another thing them taking into you know consideration what you're saying is first thing is give opportunity to funding i mean if you look at silicon valley you look at um the uk and what they're trying to do in the sme space it's they just provided the means for you to thrive mm. it's not rocket science they know what to do look at rwanda just right in front of us in the past two three years they are turning into a tech hub like different companies it's easy to do business whether you're from rwanda the other day i was on linkedin and mr easy was there and then he put something and he said 
it's easy to do business in Rwanda. He was just like, guys, come to Rwanda. <laughs> He's not from there. But the truth is, when you see something that works, it just works. Yeah. So if the government puts, you know, don't try to kill your business. That's all we're begging for. Don't yeah. kill it. We're trying. Yes, there are people who are fraudulent out there. Put your regulation to stop fraud, to stop yeah. the the bad eggs, the people that are just going into the business because they think it thrives and then doing all the wrong things. Put things in place to make sure that. But you don't use money as a means to check the space yeah. because all you're thinking about is how do we make revenue? No, the truth is you. What what other countries are doing is we give you tax havens for. 10 years. The truth is, by the time you start making that revenue, that um, that the tax will come straight to the yeah. state or go straight to the country. So you have um, the UK, for instance, doing the GEP program, getting companies all around the world, small companies um, with, with great potential to come and put their HQ in the UK. They're not stupid. They're giving you all the tools. They're giving you um, access to grants, giving you access to funding, giving you access to their infrastructure as the UK. And they don't even care whether you actually have operations in the UK. What they're saying is, these tech companies, they're going to expand across Africa. By the time they take all their profit and they're putting in the UK as their HQ, yeah. when we tax it, we know what it is. We're taking from everything. And Nigeria is losing a lot of companies like yeah. this. You know, the US doing the same thing, China doing the same thing, Canada doing the same thing. And these are already developed countries. They're thinking about the future. They know that Africa now is the next frontier. So yeah. let's take all the best guys and house yeah. them. And you're there, you're letting this happen. Yeah. It's not by fighting, it's not by putting stringent, make it easy in your country. Some of these people started because they wanted to make the country better. They had opportunities to start their businesses in America or the UK. They started in Nigeria with all your nonsense. And instead of getting better, you're getting it worse. Yeah. At the end of the day, they have their families to feed. They have employees to take care of, right? And they'll start thinking about where will I stay that my company can survive? You know what I'm saying? So, there's so many things that the company can, the country can do. Give companies access to funding. You know, even if you don't give tax havens, right? Let them pay tax yeah. that they are supposed to pay, right? But give them the right infrastructure to make it work. You know, if you're building enough tech hubs, okay, you can't make electricity 100% 24-7. I don't know why it's hard, but you <laughs> just can't make it 24-7. Then provide hubs that SMEs can go there and walk 24 hours and have light. And they don't have to pay a lot of money to, to keep light. Something yeah. as simple as light. I think, I th I think so, a lot of it, like you said, really comes down to the conversation. Yeah. I, and I know personally that um, somewhere like, you know, the LSETF right now are hungry to try and, um, provide what is kind of knowing what do I need to provide and what is important and am I interested in these conversations yes right so like you said because that for me right just off the, the nose is a brilliant idea in terms of a hub where people that have SMEs or small businesses mm -hmm. starting out need to have access to be able to grow somewhere that has electricity somewhere that has internet access and all these kind of things that I can actually create and do the work that I need to do exactly um I want to talk before we go into into Tremendo because I'm yeah. interested. I'm very interested in that. Um, first of all, I'm, just, I'm a huge person when it comes to the health space because it's relevant to me. Um, 
But with Narabox, how did you get there? Um, how did the idea come about? And what is essentially in building something? Because I know that you don't work alone. You are, oftentimes you work and you have a business partner. Yeah. Like what importance is partnership in starting a business? And how did the idea of Narabox come about? Okay, so um, my background, um, when I went to school, I studied medicine, I failed out. I was studying medicine and failed, right? Um, and I graduated microbiology. I finished and I got into the entertainment industry. I was an artist manager for a bit. And then in 2011, I, uh, I got offered a place with um, a particular company. In fact, it was the first digital distribution company in Nigeria for music, movies, books. Uh, we're trying to do something interesting at the time. And it was a subsidiary of ITV, um, Tony Sabaris Company. So they got me in to be the commercial manager. And that's where I met my first business partner, Dami, Damila Jagade, who built the platform. And that was my first introduction into tech. Um, after the whole issue with ITV, the company um, also um, fell as well. And then um, Dami and I, what we wanted to do was we were just young guys at the time and we just wanted to start something, right? Um, I always had at the back of my mind that I didn't want to work for anybody. And even to work with Hybos at the time, it was after I sat down with Tony Sabara and I saw his vision where he wanted to head and I told him, okay, you know what, let's do this. Um, Dami and I tried to introduce a lot of products at the time. Um, it was funny because the internet was really bad in Nigeria at that time. This was like two times from 2012. And um, we had different ideas um, from music distribution. We had an app called True Magic at the time. Um, we now started uh, a betting company called Swipe. At that time, we would have probably been the first betting app or betting company in the country. But we're still young and naive. We made a couple of mistakes. And then Narabox Ideas came out in 2012, it was supposed to be, Dami was building apps for the banking sector at the time, which was not really a popular thing to do. Um, and then, so he had an insight into how banking worked. And he, so he felt like, you know, we could do something different in that space. So what we wanted to do with Nyabox at that time was a loyalty program where if you go to ShopRite, for instance, or Palms or anywhere, a supermarket um, or a restaurant, and you make payments, you get loyalty, and then it grows, your points grow, and then you can make payments uh, for it. Um, but then somehow something happened and we didn't continue with it. I think we went to... Um, ShopRite at the time, they were quite new. And they, they gave us a condition to work with them. And we couldn't meet that condition. So um, that kind of killed the idea. Yeah. But in 2015, and all that while we've just been looking, trying to get funding, you know, to start something. 2015, I reached out to him and I told him, I think I found someone that could fund one of the things we want to do. And... That's how Narabox started. But Narabox started in 2015 with a different idea. Mm. Uh, we wanted it to be a payment platform where you would um, you just walk into any store and then you use your Narabox to make payments. That's what it was. But there was a bank that was supposed to back that. 
And it was on that basis we raised, uh, it was, I think, 20 million that time. And by the time we finished building it, we went back to the bank and the bank said they weren't ready for us. It was a big blow. And um, Dami and I and two other people who were relatives to the man who brought the money. So four of us now started the company together. It was called, we now named it Jog Technology. So it was, um, we took first letters from our names um, to form Jog. And we went back to our tiny office in Lekki at the time after we got the disappointment from the bank and we're like, is this it? Like we've raised this money in February of 2015 and this was like August, September. Mm. And we had already employed about two, three people. We'd be paying salaries and stuff. So we really did, we were already running out mm -hmm. of money. And we said, what are we going to do? So now we don't have the bank backing us, what's going to happen? And then, so, at that point, it was as if we were going to close shop. So I came up with the idea of um, we've already built this, even though it was for payments, we will still have payments in there. We came up with an idea of building a wallet because we needed the bank's license to back us mm. so so that people could transfer money amongst each other and, and, and all that. But now we couldn't do that because we didn't have the banking license. So... Dami came up with a brilliant idea to create a wallet in the system. So the payment, the money would be in that system. But the idea was now, how would we spend the money? So um, or how would the user spend the money um, since he can't send it out? And then what we decided to, what I came up with was aggregate cinemas and sell event tickets and all that. You can use your wallet to make payments okay. for those things. Yeah. Um, and then somehow we we now built what was Narabox today from there, um, and yeah, and that's how that's how Narabox started in two thousand fifteen. So yeah. there's so many things that you said that just immediately points to me to this concept and thought that I think is not hugely pre um, prevalent in Nigeria, yeah. which is how important is failure to learning how to succeed? Because yeah. you had a lot of different ventures that you tried out that didn't work before yeah. you landed on Narabox. Yes. Um, the good thing about me is that I always had this concept from the very beginning that I never fail, yeah. right? From the very early stage, I don't know where I got it from, but I always had this concept that I never fail, that for every disappointment, I was supposed to go through that for, for a lesson that I wanted to learn or not exactly a lesson, but there's something I got from that disappointment or from that failure. So for instance, um, I think all my failures built me for Narabox. I was building a network, right? Mm -hmm. So some, and, and that's why I say to young entrepreneurs is that whatever you do, be committed, do the best that you can. So all those things, all those products I tried to start, I was doing the best. So meaning my best got me to meet the vice president of Etel. We sat down, exchanged numbers. Mm. We were in communication for like three months, four months, believing that Etel was going to, to launch the product with mm. me. They gave me a contract. I looked at it. That's why I said I was naive because we almost launched all those things. But something is either I was hell bent that you have to pay me some money up front, mm. which I think I was, I was naive, you know. Mm. But I got to places... 
with those products, whether it was MTN. So if Etel, I'll be like, Etel, you know, I'll find a way into MTN. And I was doing all that, even though the products never came out. So by the time Nabox came out, I had a product that was kind of new in the market. It was innovative. I started calling up all those people again. <laughs> Do you understand? So it was easy for me to walk yeah. into, you know, and then I was saying to people that, all my failures, I didn't really fail. The, you know, I was being set up for the right product, yeah. you know, and the right mindset. So you, another thing you mentioned just now was the idea that you were being quite naive in different things you tried to do, expected to get paid upfront. Yeah. In business now, when people are going to business, I think a lot of the time we are thinking, what am I eating today out of yes. this? What mentality do you think we need to have? We're actually going to build something that has lasting power. Yeah, so the thing is, I always say to people that um, if you want to be starting something, you have to start something. So one of the things, like I said, naive was the betting company wanted to start. We already had the app. The betting license was, at that point, there was the betting license was ridiculous compared to today because there were no betting companies. Yeah. And um, there was this man that we approached who wanted to fund it. I, till today, I don't even know what his name is. Um, but he sent his business manager to meet us. Um, this was, I think, 2012 as well. Um, I think it was with Baker that we set up that meeting. And we showed him the app. It was built. It was beautiful. We already had a license to use the, um, the EPL um, names and rights yeah. or whatever. We already got the rights um, for, for betting. And because there were not a lot of or there was zero betting companies in Nigeria, it was easy to get the license because no one was asking for it. Um, so we had all that, and um, we had this meeting with this uh, this man, and he we told him how much we're looking for. He said, "If you think this is going to work, why are no companies in Nigeria doing betting, just lottery?" And I was trying to pitch to him that Nigerians were, you know, were gamblers, you know. He said, yeah, yeah, it could make sense, but you can't tell me you're the smartest guy in this country. Where are there no betting companies? Do you understand? Mm. That means there's something wrong. I was just like, why can't I be the smartest guy in Nigeria? <laughs> <laughs> why is that hard for you to believe? I know this will work. And he was like, okay, just start. And then there was no Instagram, just Facebook. And I think Twitter, I think, was quite new. So he was like, just go on Facebook, go on Twitter, amongst your little friends, and put it out there and see the reaction. I'll give you three months. Let's see how many people will jump on this. Then come back to me in three months, and let's see your traction. You don't need to spend any money. Just put it, share with your friends, and see whether they will play around with it. I was, I was, I was angry. I didn't want that kind of response. That's not what I wanted. I, I knew it was a good idea. And I just felt like, see if you want to jump on this, you know, if you want to be a part of this, we're ready to give you a stick in the company, just put in this money, this is what I wanted, mm. you know. And then I told him I didn't have a license. Part of the money we're trying to raise was to um, to get a license. He said, see, forget about the license. Regulators will come after you when you, you start hitting the right numbers. You know, I said, just do it. Just put it out there a month, two months, just test the market. And after that meeting, I walked away. I just said, you know what? I told him, <laughs> damn it, damn it, you know what, forget it. So basically, what if I did what he did, 
we probably would have seen a good reaction and we probably would have gotten the funding we wanted yeah. and we probably would have been whatever it is probably right i still yeah. believe that i wasn't supposed to do all that i'm doing the right thing today you know but those are the things i learned and i always say to people that you have to start something you have you have you're from a village or you you live in Ojudu, or you live in Agege, or you mm. live in Leki. Start with your environment. You don't need, you know, you don't need to raise a million dollars for you to create an impact or for you to start a business, right? That fashion or tailor in Hakona already has her customers. What excuse do you have, right? Whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you have you have a market exposed to you no matter where you are you have a market start with that market mm. before you start looking to raise 10 million dollars 20 million because no vc or no investor will give you money when you've not kind of proven that yeah. this makes sense you know so and that's basically what you need to do as an entrepreneur you need to start something right no matter what it is even if it's an idea test that idea you know and mm. you know before you you explode on it how do you keep yourself going and i think mm. i say this because in the tech space i know that it usually takes a while till you get to profitability yes and so how do you in the process of proving yourself like you said um what what is essential and important to keeping yourself going while you're working on actually building something that can reach profitability mm. um because I know, and in terms of even convincing investors, right? At what point are you able to start saying, oh, this is a, what, what questions do you need to ask? That are important to you being able to say, this is a good time to try and reach out to an investor. You haven't been profitable yet. Mm -hmm. You're seeing some traction in your idea. Yeah. What questions do you need to be able to answer when you're going to reach a potential investor? So the question is simple, these numbers. <laughs> very simple there's no specific number but it's just the numbers um, in fact i was having this conversation yesterday there's no specific number but just show that people are interested that's all um so for instance for me it's and that's why there's the family and friend round and some people argue we don't have rich friends we don't have rich family it's it's crap you don't you don't need to you, do, you don't even need to raise that much you get um i also say um i think you you asked uh, do you need partners or you know like dami i, I mentioned he had a skill set he was a fantastic or he's a fantastic programmer and i i pride myself as a good businessman and that was the synergy we we had you know he had the skill set to build we didn't have to go employ programmers we didn't we didn't have to do mm. that so as proof of concept we already had an app he could build an app in two months you know as far as the idea was there he'll put it beautiful he put it together and then i had something to show mm. right so for some other people if they don't have that kind of partner they would have to pay a programmer to do that that's where money comes in place but for me it was easy for me to understand that i needed a partner with this specific skill set and i had value that I would show to him that this is my value as a businessman, right? I could see the opportunity in anything. So um, we had a synergy he would build and then I'll take it and start hoping to open doors and calling favors and 
calling that my uncle that I would not beg for money, but I, I, all I'm saying is just sit down with me or introduce me to the guy that I need to sit with, you know? And some people make that mistake. They find, they have family members or friends who for me, I think the value they have in your life is to not exactly teach you how to fish, but just knock on the right doors mm. for you. But some people spoil that relationship by waking up every day and asking him for money. Mm. You know, by the time you actually need him for what you need him for, you've lost it. And then you cry and say, the man is a stingy man, that my uncle is this. <laughs> the truth is you've lost the opportunity that would have made you somebody today by him, you know, just you asking for the right things. Mm. You know, you asking for the right things. So, um, so I just, I just think that the best thing um, as an entrepreneur is um, know. First of all, you have to be passionate about what you're doing, right? You need to be sure that this is it for you. You know, I, I used to say this to myself that. Um, I, I used to say this to a lot of people from 2009. I used to say I was going to be the richest man in the world. But me saying that, I always had something like a business that I wanted to start. And every time that idea comes to me and I'm pursuing it, I say, this is the one. This is the business that gets me there. So I put in my everything into that business. And when it fails, somehow another one comes and I say, okay, this is the one. No, the last one I... I missed it. This is it, you know? Mm -hmm. So at every point in time, I'm motivated by passion and the drive I have for what I'm doing and what I believe in. Everything I, I was doing as an entrepreneur, I always believed in it. If I see a product that I don't believe in, I cannot push it. Mm -hmm. I can't push it. I can't, I can't do it. So first thing I want to ask you is you talked about the importance of partnership, Yeah. right? What are key variables and questions that you need to ask yourself when you're looking for the right partners, especially yeah. in, in this in business space? And, you know, culturally in Nigeria, I think it's something that is very new. Yes. Realize, that, okay, yes, you do actually need to work with someone on something as opposed yes. to try and run the road by yourself Self, so you can keep yeah. the money for yourself when it comes. Yes. So what questions would you ask? Okay. Um, I, was, I was speaking to some mentees the other day. I also say to people that, you don't necessarily need a partner if you don't have to because it has its own downfalls, right? Um, um, because you're distinct human beings at some point, not all the time, there's some partners that are made in heaven, but at some point as human beings, you know, especially if you start being successful, there will start being some clashes. Mm. Um so sometimes I say to people that if you have the ability to do it on your own, you can do it on your own. You start it. When you start making some money, you start employing the people with the right skill set. They're your employees. You own the company, right? But if you, you're looking for a partner, then the partner must have value. And value doesn't necessarily have to be money. I think I always say that money is the least value you can bring. So if you're looking for a partner and that partner is someone that you, your co-founder is somebody, that person has to have value that you do not possess. Oh. That's the important thing. So I can't get a partner who does the same thing that I can do. Makes no sense. If I'm, I want to start a business today, 
I'm not going to get a business partner, someone who is going to help me work with me running the business as a business person. Mm. I don't need you, right? If I need a tech partner, I need a tech partner. If if the business warranties me to get a doctor and I'm not a medical doctor, then that's the value he's bringing. I can't employ a doctor, so I would have to give you a piece of the business for you to, you know, so that's your payment till we can start paying each other, you know. So that person has to have value that you do not have. That's the only way it can work, right? That this person is a programmer. You want to build this thing and you know you cannot code. You need the best programmer. You're willing to say, okay, this guy is the best guy in the market. I can see you being my co-founder and I'm willing to give you 40%, 30% of my company, right? Um, but you have to build it. That's your payment for joining for joining me. Mm. So it has to be value that you don't get, that you don't have and you can't give, right? That's the only thing that you can, that, you can, that can make me let go of equity in my business mm. for you as a partner. One thing, you've, you've done different things. They're usually quite wildly different. You've yes. tried different things. Yes. So what is your motivation yeah. when you're starting something up? Okay, so I think I'm blessed with looking for opportunities. And I always say to people that the best ideas come out of finding a problem and then you're solving it. Um, the other day, I think a, a year ago or so, um, I, was, I was driving my son back from school and then he said something and then an idea hit me from there. You know, that I'm still working on that and I've named it after him. You know, so um, so the thing is, if something hits me, if it comes up to me, I see the opportunity, you know, and the first thing I just think about is, is does this solve a problem? Yes, it does. Can I do this? Yes. There are some ideas that have come or some people have come to me with and I'm saying, uh, it's a great idea. I commend to you on it, but I can't. I don't have the time, you know, to to work on it. But really what motivates me now and my kids and my staff. You know, I wake up every day, I just think about my boys. And I'm like, you know, I really didn't have the opportunity that uh, I want to give to them. Mm. So I'm in that school of thought that I want to have everything. I want, I want them to be smart enough, smarter than I am. But they have a foundation to start, mm. right? They have that pressure of saying, this is what your father achieved. You have to be greater than me. You know, but really everything I do, even when things are going bad in my company, I think about them. I'll be like, they can't stay without eating today. Mm. You know, they can't be laughed at in school. You know, they have to have the best things in life. Mm. You know, so they are my motivation. Then my staff, I believe that a lot of people depend on me now. And I've had employees who have put in their best. They believed in my vision from day one. They've stuck with me when it seemed like the company was folding up, you know. And um, I've had, I say, I have like one or two of them who, you know, I say to them that you can't even leave because I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> I mean, you get, you would only leave if you have like three houses in Ikoi and then you tell me you want to leave. I'll be like, yeah, fine. But I said, but you're going nowhere till you get there with me, you know? So those kind of people, um, I wake up every day and I'm like, no, I'm doing this for them. I, I need to reward them for what for believing in me and standing by me so i guess that's my motivation actually so 
you've talked about yes, the motivation of your family and the motivation of your staff. Yeah. As a leader, how yeah. do you create and build a culture yeah. in your company um, that that works for everybody that is part of it? Yes. Um, creating a culture, I think, is the hardest thing um, because it's easier when you're like four people or five people, right? So naturally, you know, you guys are a family. Uh, but when you start um, handling 30 to 40 different people and then the company starts growing to a point where you've lost touch from the last guy, mm. you know, then there's a problem because now you now have team leads who are handling people and they bring in their own um how they put personalities into what they do and that affects their their team members as well um but um for me in the beginning of the company what i usually do is sell the vision i talk to my team members like i'm speaking to an investor mm. i sell the vision to them um i tell them the reason why i started so that they understand the story from the beginning and they are sold i always say that um the people i employ should understand the reason why i'm doing this mm. um so that they wake you up from sleep you understand why you're here um especially with tremendous narbox was was oh, narbox is my first baby so i was very passionate about narbox <laughs> because i was i was very hungry i was very hungry to start something mm. you know so by the time Nyabox kicked off, I've always known that I wanted to do something in medical space. I think just to tell people that I wasn't really dumb, I just played. Do you <laughs> understand? So it's like payback. Um, so, and then I started Tremendoc, and I've now started seeing that last year, by this year, we've done about 150,000 consultations. And it hit me, I'm like, Dude, 150,000 people, you know, consultations have happened through your platform that have saved lives. Like, you know, last year something something happened during the coffee when when the coffee was imposed. And there was this woman who is a pregnant, who was pregnant. And um, around 12 midnight, she got into labor and she couldn't, she couldn't go to the hospital because of the coffee. Her husband too was scared you know, driving her to the hospital. And they were at home, they were panicking, they didn't know what to do. He called a couple of friends and then someone now mentioned Tremendoc to them. And they signed up and um, they spoke to a doctor who managed them through, or the lady throughout the night. And in the morning around 6 a.m., she was able to go to the hospital. And she gave birth around, let's say, 9, 10 that morning. And when I heard that, I was like, that was mm. it. That was it for me, you know? Um, so I know the impact that we are creating. Mm. And I always say to people that Nigeria needs about 30 to 40 proper telemedicine companies. So in my nature, I compete. Mm -hmm. I just want to take that top spot. Mm -hmm. But honestly, you know, I need a lot of telemedicine platforms to succeed but i just have to be the number one <laughs> do you understand it's just i just have to be number one that's it so um so the culture is selling to people that 
we're not just here to make money. We're here to save lives, right? Um, you know, even though I did not eventually become a doctor, I now see why. Mm. Um, that's why I said I'd never fail. And I'll see why I was meant to fail. Because if I was a doctor, I wouldn't have done this. Mm. I probably would have been the best doctor in one hospital doing my thing. I would have still had this mindset that I want to be the best surgeon, you know, in the world. But, mm. you know, God had better plans for me. Yeah, and I, and I see that all of a sudden you it's... Um... There's impact you could have as a single man, in a as a single doctor in a hospital. Exactly. And then there's a global impact that you now have the potential exactly. to have in a business. Exactly. I mean, I was originally one thing I was going to ask, how do you pivot from Narrowbox to also creating something like Tremendoc? Yeah. But knowing, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, figuring out of yeah. med school and everything, yeah. you kind of start to piece the picture together. Yeah. yeah. Now, how, when you're doing something like Tremendoc, what, what kind of thing do you have to go through? I'm talking about convincing... Uh, doctors in the first place to mm -hmm. kind of join your platform see what mm -hmm. can be provided for your platform yeah and then pushing the word out there what is that like yeah so that's it telemedicine it's um our biggest challenge today is education um when we started in 2017 it was worse i mean covid helped uh, but there's still a lot of educating to be done um but when we started in 2017 it was hard um i think it was a bit easier for me because i had um, or I have a huge network of doctors. I mean, I failed out so, but a lot of my smart friends graduated as doctors, <laughs> you know. Um, so the first thing I did was I went, I, I just traveled to a couple of states where some of my friends were, and then they would introduce me to the Association of Doctors. And then they will set up a meeting for me to speak to all the doctors in the hospital. Maybe it's National Hospital Abuja or it's um, a teaching hospital in Benin. And, and I would speak to all the doctors and say, this is what I'm building. And then they would ask me the questions. What they were doing was helping me build. Because some of the things they were saying were things I didn't think about. You know, they'll be like, oh, but how we do it? You know, for gynecology, we did it. I'll be like, oh, okay. Okay, I have a solution for that tech-wise. This can happen, this can happen. You say, okay, yeah, if you can do that, that makes sense. How would the doctor's notes be? You know, so, mm. you know, I use those doctors to expand my mind around it because when I had the idea, when the idea came to me, it was just, is there an app where patients can talk to doctors? I can aggregate doctors, put on that app. They, they chat, they have audio, they have video mm. call. That was it, as basic as that, but... Some of the other features was when I was speaking to doctors, you know, they would be like, okay, what of prescription? What happens here? What happens there? And so it took a lot of, and then a lot of them also had that thing of, but how will we physically, you know, when we cannot yeah. touch them, check their vitals, take this, take that, you know, um, how would that work? But I already had an answer to that, <laughs> you know, and I would be like, dude, how many calls did you receive yesterday from people just telling you, oh, they have a headache or my tummy is aching me? And then you as a professional, you ask the right questions and you'd say, what did you eat last night? What did you do this? I'm not a doctor, I don't know, but you know what you do. Mm. They'd be like, okay, yesterday I got like five calls like that. I said, you were practicing telemedicine when you did that. The only thing I'm doing is just I'm providing an app where the layman who does not have your number can reach you. Mm. that's basically what you're doing you know the fact that your your dad can call you 
your, your wife can call you, your nephews can call you on the phone, and then you listen to them, and then you prescribe. Uh, there's this first lady who is a gynecologist, and when I was speaking to her about it, the first thing she said was, you know, as a gynecologist, I would like to feel the tummy, and I have to do that. And I asked her this question, that do you, um, Your Excellency, do you receive calls, you know, this, and she said, hmm, Jay, if I was charging for every time, every call I've received mm -hmm. in my career, I'll be a millionaire in dollars today. You know, I would laugh. And I said, but that's basically what it is. You know, so for the doctor's part, just giving them that kind of example just puts things into perspective, mm -hmm. first of all. Then what I say to them is, we're just giving you access to brothers that you don't know you have in mm. Niger State and in Kwara State and this. You only know of your brother because he has your number. Now we are giving you more brothers who would have access to you, right? We're giving you more sisters. We're giving mm. you more aunties. We're giving you more, you know, and that's it for um, the, the doctors. Um, so for the patients, there's a lot to be done. But what we were able to do was the partnerships that we, we did. Um, it was strategic because for me, it's validation. This is healthcare. Um, a brand new company would just won't just come out, and we don't have a lot of funding marketing and you know what MTN mm. and these guys would do billboards everywhere. That helps in validating because for you to spend this kind of money, then you know you kind of have something. That's the Nigerian mentality. So for us, since we didn't have this big budget of marketing, the best thing we'll do is to partner. So um, I looked at it, what institution is the most trusted institution in the country? The banks. I mean, if I trust you enough to keep my money, then that means I trust you. Mm. So we partnered with five banks. And these banks will push to their customers that use Tremendoc, especially during COVID time, you know, and uh, that helped. Then we partnered with HMOs as well who already have enrollees on board, yeah. you know, talked about, okay, let's, we have currently about three HMOs now that we're the official telemedicine partner. Then from there, we're looking at states. So we have, I think we're rolling out with like three or four states. Um, then we also have partnerships with hospitals because what I say to hospitals is that I'm not your competition. I, I just want to enhance what you do. So we have hospitals like Lagoon Hospitals on Tremendoc where, you know, they're only present in Lagos, but they have a very good reputation. So you have people in Abuja, people in Port Harcourt, and mm. who want to, you know, interface with the doctors in Lagos. Yeah. And you could just go on Tremendoc and have that. So we have the strategy on boarding hospitals as well on the platform. Lagos State, we have the, the 27 general hospitals on the platform where you can talk to your doctors from the general hospitals. So that with all these partnerships it gives some level of trust to the platform then you know that these doctors can be verified right if you have lagoon would have done their due diligence with mm. this um, the banks like you know would have done their due diligence without before doing the business with these guys um same thing with the hmos they would have done their due diligence so um for us that validation is key so for patients to know that if these institutions trust this particular platform, then they're the ones to go with. Before we now start doing the proper educating by doing TV ads, radio, and all that, mm -hmm. we just wanted that validation first. Because it's very key, 
explaining. So the way we had to explain to doctors, we still need to explain to patients. Yeah. You know, but I think we've done I think COVID did a lot of explaining to do because people were afraid of going to the hospital. So they were looking for the next alternative. Mm. And that was telemedicine. So they were forced to use it. And I've been into I've been in places where people see me and maybe I'm putting on a tremendous t-shirt. Be like, oh, are you a doctor on Tremendoc? No, I own it. Are you serious? They sit me down there and start thanking me for what I've done and how the kids did this. That's the satisfaction I get. But I guess when people understand it, right? I always say it and I keep saying it, telemedicine is the future. You can't run away from it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the future. At some point, we're going to have everybody has one telemedicine platform or the other on their phones. It's It's... It's, it's not something we can run away from. How do you deal with a crisis? And I say this because, so we just look at COVID-19. COVID-19, mm-hmm. from the perspective of Tremendox, seems like yeah. a great opportunity, yeah. right? But from the perspective of Narrowbox, I'm looking at the amount of events that haven't been happening and things yeah. like that. So how do you learn how to pivot when a crisis comes? Okay, so for I'll, I'll speak from the Narrowbox perspective. Um so the good thing with Narbox is that from early, we had different features. So diversifying. Yeah, exactly. So from early, we already said we're going after lifestyle needs. So it didn't just end with events or cinemas. We had food as well. And we're thinking about all the things, but then we had food. So when COVID came, the food feature was still going on. And, mm. you know, as far as it was food, you were allowed to move around. So the bikes were, were moving and delivering. Um, but then at that point, we now started thinking, okay, should we start doing live events, you know, where we we did a couple on YouTube where we had Oxlade and some other artists and Chike, I think, um, you know, just perform on stage. And, and we were thinking at that point that, okay, let's make this a thing where we have live concerts on the app, on the Narbox app. I'm working towards it. I don't know if I've, I've spilled... <laughs> too much, too much, <laughs> you know. But I mean, at that point, that's how you survive. You have to, you have to think. You have to innovate at the point. So, um, so I think what happened was that the food feature helped us uh, remain sustainable uh, while we were thinking about other things that we would uh, we would need to to add. For tremendous, tremendous healthcare, it helped it. So immediately came in. It was we were just totally busy. Um, some of these companies that partnered with us two years before, a year before, we go beg and say, see, this thing is important. Mm. Like, I don't understand it, you know, but COVID taught them the lesson. Mm. Like, you understand, so everybody understood and everybody, I said, oh, but there was this company that came the other day, you know, and they reached out to us and said, oh, let's let's do that partnership now. Um, so I think for for Tremendoc, it was, it was perfect and and I'm happy that Truman Doc was on hand and ready because a lot of people just started telemedicine yeah. just because of COVID. But we were we were already in existence like three years yeah. before then. So, you know, we were stable enough to handle Let's that. widen the scope. Yeah. And, I, and I want to take the advantage of this simply because you don't operate in one space. You're, you're, you're an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Yeah. You are looking consistently for ideas. Sure. Um, so in the early 2000s, I believe Tylenol had a bit of an issue where their drugs were being, um, where they were being corrupted by the people. And people started um, either dying or getting very sick. 
Now, I want to widen this scope in terms of when a crisis happens to a business generally, mm -hmm. how quick do you have to move? What kind of questions do you often need to start asking to deal with something that is um, that is effectively very negatively affecting your business? Um, you from the standpoint of let's say the Naira box was in a position where you didn't have um you know you didn't have food and things in place and suddenly your the the source of your income is being driven completely down. Hmm. What questions as a businessman do you need to start asking yourself of how do I how do I pivot? How do I move in a different direction? How do I restrategize and keep my business relevant when something um, has happened that is, that is putting either negative publicity or just making you seem irrelevant. Yes. So I think, mm. so the first thing I will do is um, call my team together. Um, I always say that, um, so there's this hashtag I use every time I tweet or I post something on Instagram, it's um, Paranoid CEO. Um, I'm always paranoid about my business. So I don't wait for a crisis to be paranoid. I'm always paranoid um, about the fact that I would use um, a, a statement by somebody. Um, he said, today is the day that they will take my bread. You know, So if you wake up in the morning and then you say that today is that day, that they would take everything away from me. Mm. So what that does to you is your, your reaction is that you are not taking it today, right? So, <laughs> so, so when you say not today, when you get to the office, you're checking that every part of your business is intact. So, but there are some things that are unforeseen, like you said, right? And, and it happens and then there's a crisis. The first thing I do is call my team together. I will brainstorm on what to do. There's some, you know, I don't, I honestly don't really believe in pivoting totally away from what you've decided to do. Mm. I don't totally, I'm not in that school of thought. If, if there's a crisis, um, like, like the drug thing you mentioned, right? It's get your PR team together and see how you fix it. Find where the damage is or, or where the, the the bad batches take it out and start having meetings with government because they're coming for you, right? Or your regulators. But changing your line of business because of a crisis, I don't agree. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't agree at all. I, I think that for Narabox, for instance, if we didn't have food at the time, we probably would have thought about introducing food. But we already had that broad mindset that we want to do food, hotels, airlines. It's as as far as it's lifestyle related, Narabox is meant to cover it. So what would have happened is would have made that decision to introduce that feature quicker than earlier planned. Mm. Um, but that's not us moving away from our business. It's always been in the roadmap mm. um, to achieve. So I don't I don't agree. I don't believe that because there's when you start a product. There's some passion around it. If you're the right entrepreneur for it, there should be some passion around it. So it's only if your product has gotten, has been listed, and then shareholders board, they're trying to push you to another direction. And, and that's one thing that is key for me. I don't, I don't bring in investors who don't believe in my, 
in my my vision for the company you know so that nobody comes to change my direction this is what this is it's my vision and direction that's gotten us here if that is attractive if that's attractive enough for you then my vision for the next 10 years should remain attractive so you shouldn't change that uh, for me so i don't really believe in pivoting as as a means of dealing with a solution or with a problem mm. right i don't i don't really agree to that so what because i, I want to hone in a little bit further is when i say pivot first off it's mm. not necessarily change completely the direction but how do you begin to expand to include whatever the circumstances. Yeah. And I, I say this because a lot of businesses I know have been hugely affected. Uh, I mean, I know restaurants would have had to consider um, delivery services, yeah, changing their menus and all of that because of you're now suddenly not able to have. So when 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 something changes and helps you, in what way, let mm. me use this, has COVID helped you think about problems that maybe you wouldn't have been thinking about three years ago, two mm. years ago, when it comes to creating business? Okay, so um, for instance, I think um, in the hotel business, for instance, um, I remember when Narabox was uh, trying to sign up hotels and, and um, you know, making sure that, you know, people can book some hotels were very, very, you know, they were like, no, we're making my money. Online is not going to change anything. Mm. You know, online, I don't have that issue. Now we have hotels that, you know, can only be booked 100% online um, because of COVID. Um, for for my business, for Narabox, for instance, we've, we've thought about so many things. Like, for instance, we just introduced the movie subscription a um, couple of weeks ago. It's something that we've always wanted to do in the past three, four years. Um, but now we're saying we can actually do it. And now we're thinking it's actually important for the movie industry to have this today because they still run at, you know, half capacity. Um, mm. And this would probably encourage people to go for, see movies more. Um, so those are the kind of things that can that would move you to say, okay, you know what? I think it's time for us to do this. Uh, I think it's I think it's time for us to start having this conversation around um, what we've been thinking about doing. Um, I understand that. Okay, so for instance, the event space, it was very clear how virtual concerts became a thing mm. um, during COVID, and a lot of people started making a lot of money you know, doing virtual concerts. And I think that would never go away. I think people will still get back to doing the live concerts, but there will still be virtual concerts um, happening. Um, I think that was a very clever way for, especially in the entertainment industry, um, for artists to still make some money. Um, so, but like two days ago, so I was asked the question, what happens post COVID? Would things come back to normal? Um, you know, and I'm like, I don't, there's some things that will come back to normal, but there are some things that were introduced because mm. of COVID that would remain, mm. you know? So I think COVID, COVID is a very significant part of, you know, this decade or century, mm. right? And it came to actually shift things. Yeah. you know and i think things have been shifted and some things will remain shifted 
Yeah, I mean, I, when I think about that, and I think, you know, concert space, I just imagine um, capacity, people being as close together, because people have now suddenly become a little bit more aware mm -hmm. than probably they ever were about mm -hmm. things like germs. And yeah, exactly. Like, you know, exactly. What's there? Exactly. Um, so, <laughs> so how that has changed the culture and how that might affect business going forward when it comes to things like that yeah. in terms of capacity, places you might have to rent and all those kind of things when you're mm -hmm. doing concerts. One thing that I've noticed about you is there is a, I don't know what the right word is hustle, but I'll use the word hustle, mm -hmm. a hustle mentality. Yeah. Um, you, you, you set your mind, like you said, you always used to say it when, say it when you were young, you're going to be the richest person in the world. Yeah. What, how important would you say that, that that hustle and that grind is, especially in the formative years of building a business for entrepreneurs? <laughs> I mean, it's the most important thing. Like, um, wow. This is the most important thing. <laughs> that's just say, I don't know how else to stress it. <laughs> like if, and that's why you have to be passionate what you do. Because if you're not passionate about it, you won't have the drive. You know, you won't, you won't have the drive. And that drive has to be infectious. It has to be infectious enough for your people to have that drive as well. Because when you start, if you do, you're not properly funded, the only thing you have to offer is the promise of glory. That's what you're offering your, your staff, right? I, I used to say uh, with Narabox when we first started, the first few staff we had, I used to say, don't worry, I promise you, at some point we'll be at the 11th floor. That's what I used to say every time, 11th floor. So sometimes uh, some of my old staff would be like, we're not there yet at the 11th floor. I'd be like, don't worry, we're getting there. You know? Um, so it's that grind that when they see it, you know, they, they leave off that energy. If you don't have it, they, don't waste your time trying to start a business. You know, don't waste your time trying to start a business. I remember when we started the event space, there were some people who were already doing event ticketing. Someone, one of them called me. And I know that when, when we started, we really struggled in the event space. Mm. And... Um, one of them called me because of just one concert I managed to get. One concert, this was 2016. And she called me and she said, um, that Jay, how would you get a concert? She's first time speaking to me, you know, how would you get a concert exclusively? You've paid them money in the industry. I don't know where I got money from to pay anybody. And then she was like, in fact, they formed an association against Naira Box. And, uh, and I told her, I said, Madam, you know what? I am not splitting this concert with you. And I'm coming to take everything you guys have. You see that association? <laughs> I'm coming for everything. And she was like, I've heard about you, you're arrogant. I said, see, honestly, some people don't understand me. You know, I say some of those things so that you can use it against me tomorrow. Because when I say those things, I know that I have put a lot of pressure on myself because I'll be the mm. laughing stock of that industry if I don't meet up. So I say those things. Some people mistake it for arrogance, but I don't have anything. So imagine when in 2016, I'm saying to someone who owned the biggest event ticketing platform, she was calling me for the first time and I was telling her that I'm coming for everything. And she was like, 
Is it because of this one concert that you have this one that you had in October? It's not even December. It's not even the concert that will take 3,000 people. Mm. You're saying you're coming for everything. I said, just wait and see. I said, you and your association, wait and see. And a year later, she called me. I said, okay, Jay, I accept. You are now number one. I was, that was fulfilling to hear. Mm. Say, okay, I accept. You're now number one. Can we now have an association together. I said, no, I came into this industry to take everything. <laughs> like, I told you, I wasn't joking. I'm coming for everything. So the thing is, it puts me on my toes to achieve that thing I've set for myself. So sometimes when I'm in the gathering of some people and then maybe a telemedicine platform, I'll be like, Jay, we're doing this. I'll be like, don't come against mm. me. I will crush you. You know, not like I have anything crazy, but it's I make those statements to inspire myself because yeah. when I leave, I'll be like, dude, man. What did you just say? What did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> but, so you, you don't sleep anymore. Yeah, because, I think it's good. It, yeah. it goes for it creates accountability for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I don't sleep. If I was supposed to sleep that afternoon, I won't sleep anymore. And then I'll get my guys together and say, see, I've put all of you in trouble. This is what I've done. So you can't make me look like a fool. So we have to grind from now. So I believe that, especially the early stages, you you have to be aggressive. Not so now, not not aggressive as far. I try to be very ethical when I'm doing business. So I try as much as possible not to step on step on toes. Mm. I try as much as possible not to do what someone would say is unethical. Mm. I try as much as possible not to do that. And um, so when 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 I say those things, I'm saying that I'm going to do it by the books. I'm mm. saying that I'm going to, when you're asleep, I'll be awake, right? If you throw an offer, I'm going to throw an offer that is going to be ridiculous, even if I don't make money from it, mm. you know, because in my mind, I need to acquire, acquire, acquire. Right, so that's it. That's the aggression. I mean, that don't sleep because the time you're asleep, some other people are awake, mm. and God would reward the person that works hard. That's mm. all, you know. So that's it. So if if you believe in God, if you believe in grace, if you if you believe in um, you know, if you just believe that the universe just you know puts things in place. The only way you can attract those things is working hard. It's not mm. your closeness to God, right? There's some people that will pray every day. Pray every day. They'll find someone else getting it. It's hard work. That's mm. it. Even in your Bible, it tells you. You just have to work hard. You have to till the floor before fruits will grow. Mm. So nothing else can give you, no matter the amount of fasting and prayer. What that will do is just make sure that the grace is there where you did not expect someone to call you from, mm. that person calls you. But the truth is that you've done the work. You could call you, but you don't even have a product ready. And you expect God to, fulfill to any develop of the work, that for yeah. you. Yeah, so that's it. So one thing you said earlier was, you know, especially in that formative years of grinding and hustling, um, especially when you don't have the finances to meet up. Yeah. And you've mentioned that a couple of times. How would you say that there's some sort of formula? And I know that it's not easy, mm. right? Of how long and how much um, bootstrapping needs to be done before you've got to start calling it and saying, look, we need numbers to show for itself. Mm. And how do you um, 
and and do you set a vision usually for yourself of how long you expect that this thing needs to be profitable and if it's not and i'm bootstrapping i'm doing this by myself i'm doing this as much on my own as possible or with as minimal a number of people as possible before you decide that look this thing has to be growing by now or this business has or hasn't worked mm. yeah that's a very good question and um I'm 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 going to find it hard to answer <laughs> because I'm going to find it hard to answer because there is there's really no time till you start making revenue, right? But what you've asked, um, number one, like I said, you bootstrap when you start because you really haven't probably raised or family and friends you've put in some money together, but it is very important that while you're bootstrapping. And I think I've made those mistakes before. I never used to look at numbers as in um, numbers as an important factor. I just wanted to, you know, prove that concept, right? Mm. But um, but I think the numbers are really important. So even if you, I remember there was this investor that um, had a conversation with me. He came from China and he's been coming to Nigeria. He was very interested in Tremendok. This is like two, three years ago. He was very interested. And um, at some point we were, we were having dinner at one hotel and the new version of Tremendok app just went live. And I demoed it uh, for him where I called the doctor. We had a video call and he was like, oh, great. You know, I was trying to raise... I think, was it $500,000 at the time? And um, he he looked at me and he said, okay, this works, great. He said, Jay, if you could get 1,000 subscribers from now till Friday, I'll give you $500,000. I said, okay. <laughs> I was like, ah, are you trying me? I will get 1,000 subscribers now. Are you trying me? I Friday came one more. I didn't even get up to 50. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand? I didn't get up to 50. And I think I blame myself. I should have done more. I don't know. I should have done more. I should have, you know, got all my staff, get your family and friends, get them to subscribe like this. You know, and he was very straightforward. He said, see, you're looking for 500K, right? Get a thousand from now to Friday, then I'll give you. You know, funny how I'm just thinking about that conversation again. Like, <laughs> I don't think I did enough to uh, to prove myself. But anyways, what I mean is that the numbers are important. They're important to everybody. Anybody that wants to give you money to expand would have to see that people are interested in this product, and the only way they see this are through the numbers. You might not be making money. Even if that product is 50 naira, but you have 20,000 people paying you 15, 50 naira, it's not enough to sustain your business. It's not enough to pay your salaries. But the fact that you have 20,000 people using that service, you, what you've just proven to me as an investor is 20,000 people actually need your service and they've been paying 50 naira every mm. week or every month. That means they need your service. Okay. So I can give you $3 million. You will blow it up. Let's get 200,000 people. Let's mm. get 1 million people to pay you 50 naira. You know? And at some point, we can actually increase it to 100 naira. Mm. And they will still pay because they are hooked. So that's it. You need to just prove. So when you're bootstrapping, 
there has to be a point, there has to be a goal to your bootstrap. So mm. if if I'm saying that I have five million naira to spend right now, so I'm going to break it down. But whilst you're doing that, always think about it that out of that five million, bring out whatever you think mm. you need to get the traction when that product is ready. So that's the important thing. So some people just believe, I think Silicon Valley has really affected a lot of people because in Silicon Valley, you might just have an idea. They'll give you $10 million, evaluate it for you and give you $10 million, give you $5 million, give you $20 million. A lot of people are just raising. Some people, they've not even, just their angel round, they've raised $3 million. <laughs> Nigeria is not like that. Even those people giving those guys that money, when it comes to Nigeria, because we've not had a lot, that's why a lot of investors now are going to the fintech space. Because you're seeing what Flutterwave is doing, Paystack is doing, Kuda Bank is doing, everybody's just doing great. And so they're like, okay, there's something going on here. If other investors are looking at it, let's look at other fintech companies. At least mm. even if they don't know what the hell they're doing, we will teach them. So let's throw in money there whilst we teach them. You understand? So, but every other sector isn't there yet. But fintech, it took it took about five, six years to get here, mm. right? So, like telemedicine, even with COVID, that is attractive. They're still looking at the companies who have numbers because at the end of the day, they look at it and they say, "We've not seen a telemedicine company with a hundred thousand mm. active users. And that place is not interesting. Kuda Bank probably has like two million users. So for them, it's not yet interesting till maybe mm. Tremendo gets." you know, a million users be like, oh, okay. Uh, that's, now it's time to start looking at the space. Mm. You know, so, um, so you just have to, whatever you bootstrap in, you just have to make sure that you have a goal to hit X amount of numbers. When you hit it, you know that you're able to go for your seed round and say, I need, I was, I just spent 1 million naira here and I got 2,000 people. I believe if I spend 20 million, no, I spend 100 million marketing, I'll get 200,000 people. And if I get 200,000 people, this is what my revenue would become. Mm. You know, so that's it. That's what should always be on your mind, you know, no matter the stage that you're in. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I always like to do this. So can you please, mm -hmm. for entrepreneurs, people um, going out into different business spaces, three golden nuggets yeah. that you think that every entrepreneur needs to think about and know when they're going into business? That you haven't mentioned yet. That I haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> I think number one, know your space. Mm. Um, it's very important to understand your market. Like I said, I think I mentioned it a little bit when I said identify that there's a problem. If you're not solving a problem, just forget it. Or if it's a problem you're solving that people don't know is a problem, right? Um, then that's innovative. So that's that's great. Just like Instagram, nobody would have thought it would be like this. Yeah. Like Facebook was there, so nobody thought that anything better would come out. But I think when you the first time you actually looked at Instagram, I think you would you would agree that this was this was great. This was better yeah. than Facebook. You know, so um so that's that. First of all, identify your market, identify if there's a problem that you're solving. Um second thing is I haven't mentioned. <laughs> <Rules turning>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think second thing is integrity. I think that that's um. I think that's an important part for a founder. Mm. 
Um, a lot of people think that they can get away with stuff, but later it comes back to bite you. Um, I think that no matter what, people should see you as, you know, someone with integrity. Uh, I think that opens doors. Um, I think that you never know how people talk about you behind your back. I know for me, a lot of people will say, Sky is arrogant as this. <laughs> You know, but you can't play with my integrity, you know, and that's why with all that whispers, I still knock on doors, they open and they say, Jay, I heard all oh, the other guys you're working with, they said you guys are fantastic. I think integrity is the most important thing. Um, the third thing is, the third thing is your team. I think that you have to realize that these people are there because of you. Same thing with your shareholders, same thing with your investors. They're investing in you. And the only thing you can do is appreciate them. Appreciate that without them, you won't be where you are, mm. right? And, and I, I remind myself all the time that that the most important part of my success today. And it's not just by telling yourself, you need to let them know, right? Uh, and I think that there's, there's nothing you cannot achieve if you have people who are beyond your employees and they are ready to fight this struggle with you, right? Uh, there, are, there are things that other companies today would fight around HR and employees. You won't go through that because what it is that you've, turn them to your family members, even though they're giving bigger offers, they don't want to leave. Mm. You know, they're attached to you, they're attached to your vision. They leave when you've given up, right? So, yeah, I think those are the three things. Thank you so much, man. Thank I really, you. really appreciate Thanks, this. Thanks, man. Thanks for having <laughs> me. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of Shop Talk with the support of LSETF and make sure you keep on tuning in.